1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we get to be this morning again. 1 Corinthians 3. And I don't know that we need to encourage this. In fact, I think we ought not to encourage it, but it seems like strife and discord, conflicts, confusion, disappointments, dissensions, anger, animosity, all these kinds of things. Mm, oh, are there enough in our own families or enough in our neighborhoods, our coworker situations? They must not be in the church. They must not be. We must have unity. And it's not something that we have to enforce uh, as you need to be like me or I need to be like you. No, we should really be like me. I'll just could you all be like me? No, if we can all be like our head, if we can all be conformed to the image of Christ, if we can all be exercising his mind, if we could just think of other people as more important than ourselves, if we would just stop having uh, a parochial or a provincial kind of mindset, you know, this is my area of, of church life, or this is, this, well, this, this too is mine, and this is mine, and by the way, this is my church. No, that's not the right attitude we should have as a church member, church attender, as a pastor, as, a, as any kind of a person in this church. It's not my church. It's not our church. It's God's church. It's his church. And that means a lot of things. It means kind of we put ourselves a little bit lower on the totem pole, if you don't mind the status uh, ranking in terms of authority or influence or prestige or, or uh, possession, ownership of the church. It's not. It's not ours. I'm not just talking about the facility. We have a, a, a fine facility, and so we're not talking about the facility. We're talking about the people. You know, we, we, we get perhaps a little bit overly uh, uh, sensitive about individual things about the, the church building or the, the functions or the parking lot. or what, But the people is where it needs to be. And our attention to, to learn to serving and, and uh, um, lending to, and, and not in, a, in a resources that we have, but lending uh, favor and grace and words of encouragement and comfort to one another. That's the kind of stewardship we have. I mean, God, you know what he's going to do with not just this building, and a nice parking lot, and your favorite vehicle that's out in the parking lot, or maybe it's not your favorite because it's kind of cold and salty, and so you kept your favorite vehicle in the garage, and you brought your beater. I don't know what you did. God is going to destroy this whole thing. It's going to be gone. But all of our nice little gardens and, and stuff, or all of our library books, or all of our uh, uh, whatever we have, it, it's gone. But the people remain, and our, our allegiance ought to be to our Lord and to each other. And so a place for discord and dissension and divisiveness, any kind of strife in the church, it cannot be. What does that indicate? When there is strife, when there is dissension in the congregation, you're just acting worldly. You're acting like fleshly. I mean, you might be in Christ, and I hope they are. I hope we are in Christ. But when those kinds of things are in our, in our uh, community and our congregation, it, it evidences a... a uh, at the very least, in immaturity. And I'm not picking on anyone in particular. I'm just saying this is what the book says. And so we need to get our, our, our uh, whole hearts and, and lives under the authority of God's word, not boasting in ourselves. You know, that, boy, you know, I just did this for the church. Nobody else knows it, but let me tell you what I did for the church. We don't want to boast in ourselves or to have any kind of identification. Well, I'm of this party or I'm of this, you know, I give my allegiance to, and by the way, sometimes those people that we give our allegiance to aren't even in this fellowship. You know, we have so many Bible teachers, both dead and alive, that are available. And we say, well, I'm of this, this particular doctor, theologian, whatever, preacher. No, I'm of this one over here. And by the way, mine's better than yours. That kind of attitude has no place. Where does our allegiance lie? To the Lord, to the Lord, to his word. 
thankful for teachers. We're thankful for resources. We're thankful for all these things. But they should direct us to the Lord and not make ourselves all puffed up and proud and, and uh, full, of, full of ourselves. We want to be full of God. Okay, enough application, enough condemnation. That's not condemnation. It is redirecting our hearts to love the Lord, to live for Him, to serve Him with all of our hearts. There's so much in the Corinthian church that was improper and needed corrections, needed challenge, and needed, uh, you guys are just going the wrong direction. You guys are, are in so many, but it's fundamental. You are divisive because you're being attracted to the world. You're listening to what the world says, what the world celebrates. You're all uh, jockeying for, for status and power and authority and influence. All You don't need that. You do your work. You fulfill your task and let the Lord, let the Lord direct the harvest even. But you be faithful in the things that God has entrusted to you and rejoice in what God, what the work Rejoice in the work that God has entrusted to other people and don't have an attitude of, of rivalry and, and suspicion even uh, about, uh, you know, what are they doing over there? You know, they're not doing it my way. Is, are they doing it God's way? There's so much uh, discord that happens in a church, in a family, in a wherever you have more than one pe person. And even when there's only one person, we just kind of debate in our own hearts. Am I doing this right? Not You're not doing that. And conscience and all the. But when we have more than one person, we're going to have difference of opinion. We're going to have difference of perspective, uh, different solutions. A question, not the only question, but a question is, is God as upset about this thing as you are? And corollary to that is, can you go to chapter and verse? Where does he say that, that they're not doing it right? Well, if they're not worshiping the Lord, if they're not loving the Lord, if not speaking the truth, well, there's, there's definitely scripture for that. But other things where it's a matter of personal preference, seek to build up receive one another in love, not for the purpose of passing judgment on their opinions. Romans um, 14, I guess, would say that. Romans 14. So we're all about this. We're all about letting Christ have his ascendancy, let him have his, pre his prestige, his honor, his place over the church. And all of us are servants. All of us are servants. No one is better than the other. We're all servants before the Lord. Well, Romans, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 3 is where we turn. Let me just read this text for us. I'll have it on the screen as well, uh, beginning at verse 5. What then is Apollos? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. Paul continues this whole address against conflict, discord, dissension in the church, and part of it related to a, an improper allegiance to teachers in the church. He mentions two here, Apollos and Paul. Paul was the one, you can turn back or just make a, a note, that uh, Acts 18 is, is really the birthday of the church in Corinth, and Paul is the one who it was the initial preacher, although there's some conversation I guess we could have about Peter's interest, and even if some, if the gospel had already come, but in terms of the founding of the church and the advancement of it really began in chapter 18 of Acts with Paul's ministry there. Paul was there for remember, a year and a half. That's a long time for Paul to be anywhere. He'd been other places. Well, Ephesus, he was three years there. And in fact, he's writing to the Corinthian church from Ephesus. He's in the middle of his ministry there. 
but he was there for a long time, establishing this church, getting it all uh, organized, teaching it very well, which made him lament, I can't give you solid food. You're still doing the, the milk stuff. You've got to grow up, people. And so he says, look, I was there. I was there to start the church. Apollos, profound teacher of the word, read about him in the end of Acts 18 and start of Acts 19. He came after Paul had left. Apollos came to Corinth and, as in, in Paul's language here, I planted Apollos water. They both had a connection to this church in Corinth. And I think that's partly why he focuses on them here in verse 5, even though he mentioned uh, Apollos and Paul and Cephas, or another name for Peter, and even Christ back in chapter 1, verse 17. No, no, verse 12 it is, verse 12. And so he lists Apollos and Paul because at least we know that they, those two men, were in the church in Corinth, and so they had a particular uh, affection and influence in there. So, But he says, what then is Apollos? And what then is Paul? He doesn't really even say, and I suppose you could translate it this way, but he's following, I think, uh, a Socratic method. Socrates, you've heard of this, this character, one of the ancient philosophers of Greece, um, around the time of Nehemiah, 400 or so BC. And he had a method where he would ask questions, right? He's asking questions, right? Question marks. Paul is. And Socrates was known for that, Socratic method, teaching by uh, asking questions and getting to a definition, kind of exploring. Well, okay, what is Apollos? And you think, well, he's a man, right? Well, even that's contested in our current day and age. Don't He's a man, okay? He's a Bible teacher. He had an influence in the church. But that's not the question he's getting. He's not asking for a definition. He's just saying, what is Apollos? What is Paul even? And maybe your translation has those words uh, re reversed. It's fine. Uh, I think he's, I think it followed after this pattern here, Apollos first and then Paul. Uh, but he is saying, why Why are you giving so much attention to these characters? Why, why do you spend so much of your um, uh, mental energies and uh, relationships in the church to say, well, you know, are, are you for Apollos or are you a Pauline guy over there? Uh, or, or in the words back in verse 12 of chapter 1, are you of Cephas? I mean, Cephas had his own, but I like Cephas better than Paul because, you know, X, Y, and Z, or, you know, I'm of Christ. And that has no part of this whole thing. What, what are these people? They are servants. And you think, well, good grief, Paul. I mean, you're an apostle. You are not just a servant. You are an apostle of Jesus Christ. And by the way, I mean, your old manner of life, you are one of those religious guys, right? A Pharisee of Pharisees. And by the way, you have pretty good uh, uh, genealogy or heritage. You're, I mean, you're Jewish and your tribe of Benjamin, uh, born there, circumcised the elf. And you just were, you're a good guy. And he says, I'm a servant. And we think maybe a little bit poorly about that, being a servant. Uh, is less in our minds. It's a different word than we could read other words, other where other places rather, regarding slaves or slavery. Paul says many different times, "I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a slave of God," etc. Here he uses uh, maybe it's not a softer term, but a different term that just means he's a servant, one who serves, one who is a minister. Uh, it's variously translated ministry, minister, or or um, even very practically those who uh, wait or bus tables. I mean, just a table servant. Uh, any kind of practical need, these these servants, these people are out there doing it. Instead of elevating himself and saying, you know, I, I'm an apostle and I'm, you know, top drawer, grade A, capital A apostle. He says, I'm a servant. I am the least of the least. I am the one who, you know, there's no allegiance needs to come to me as a person, only as I minister the word of God. 
And he says this very boldly in Galatians chapter 1, we'll read it maybe next week or the week after, uh, that even if I or somebody else preach a gospel different than what I already gave, don't listen to him. In fact, he says, let him be anathema, cursed, separated from God. So he, he doesn't take anything to himself except as he ministers the word of God uh, to the people of God. And so he's very careful about his identity. Jesus also has a statement about uh, titles. I mean, I guess it's a title, servant. I'm a, a servant. I'm a minister of, of whatever. I serve other people. Uh, in Matthew uh, 23, Jesus has the command, the warning, be careful. Be careful about titles. I mean, Paul says, I'm a servant. But he says, do not be called rabbi. This is uh, Matthew 23 and verse 8. Do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you're all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth your father, spiritual father, not just even, he's going to talk about that in chapter 4, about if, if you could call anyone your father, well, I'm more so, because I was there when you were born. It was there, uh, intimately involved with it. But he, he says it in an honorific kind of a sense, not in terms of a, a affinity or um, relationship, but in terms of honor. Uh, don't call anyone using that honorific title, Father, for one is your Father who is in heaven. Do not be called instructors or teachers, for one is your instructor, that is Christ, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. Here's the word, servant. The greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself, guess what's going to happen to those who exalt themselves? They'll be exalted. No, they will not be exalted. They will be humbled. But whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. When we have that willingness to serve, to meet needs, and not get the accolades, not say, well, I'm doing this so I can advance. You know, this is, this is you know, climbing the ladder in the church. The ladder to what? You, you want to exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. God, will, God is opposed to the route. He just does not accept it at all. And we shouldn't accept it, but mostly in our own selves. Well, we can pick it out in other people pretty well. You're kind of acting arrogantly or condescendingly or proud. What about us? What about me? What am I doing before the Lord? How am I using my life to serve, to meet needs, to not be so concerned about who gets the honor or the praise or the glory or whatever, but just serve. You see that need? Do it. Fulfill it. Serve that person. Encourage that person. Send that postcard. Send the whatever it is so that you can serve the Lord with gladness. Wow, what a, what a powerful, powerful idea. Just by way of a very practical example, if Paul is not so much given to titles, in fact, Jesus, I mean, he, he mentions himself as a servant here in, in 1 Corinthians 3. If Jesus made the warning, hey, don't, don't be so much concerned about titles, uh, rabbi, which is my great one in the Aramaic, or uh, a father, you know, spiritual honorific father, you may kiss the ring, you know, whatever. No, that, that has no place in a church life. Or this idea, you know, this is my instructor and my teacher, and I'm going to attach myself to that person. It doesn't mean we can't have um, preferred teachers, but to give yourself totally to that person, that's a human person, that's a servant, through whom you've believed, it says here, and not in this verse, the next one. And so we, we see that the, the idea of titles and, and honorific, whatever, it's not... It's not becoming in the church. The world, very much given to titles and grand, you know, grand poobah, whatever it is. I mean, just all these titles that are, and, and letters after the name, doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. If you read in the scriptures, how many times do we see just the name Jesus? In the gospels, definitely all the time, Jesus. When you get to the epistles, okay, maybe Lord Jesus or Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus or the title Christ and Jesus. But we don't ever see 
even with King David or Moses or some of these, I mean, big personages in, in history, biblical history, titles aren't so important. We might see David the king. We might see Solomon the king, but we rarely see the term King David. Now, maybe in our translation, it's, it's, it's done that way, but we rarely see that kind of, um, again, honorific title or authoritative title. It's not that important, even as it pertains to me or the other pastors. We're not big. I'm not big on titles. Scripture is, is clear on that. We don't read about you know, Pastor so-and-so, Pastor Timothy. Or, or we read about, hey, Timothy. Read about Paul. Read about Apollos. Read about Barnabas. Read about um, John Mark. All these different names without the titles. Anyway, enough of that, about that. But to have this idea of humility, humble service, I'm just a servant. I'm nobody. I'm doing my work. And God is at work in and through me. He says, what is Apollos? What's Paul? They're servants. Don't give them more than they're due. Don't give them more than, than you ought to give to the Lord directly. Be careful lest you exalt them in their own lives. And even as various people have said it in various ways, uh, when, when you know, so-and-so gets up to teach and you clap either to, at the, as they come to the stage or after they're finished doing. And, and some people say, well, you just stole my eternal reward, you know, because you, you give me the praise of men. Whoever wants the praise of men forfeits the praise of God. Well, if you seek it out, that's one thing. But if we want to honor our teachers and our whatever, that's fine, as long as we recognize they're servants. And the reason we love them is because they serve us the scriptures. They teach the word of God. That's what Paul is saying here. These are servants through whom you believed. Channels, the means of teaching is what these servants do. Paul and Paulus particularly because of their foundational work in the church in Corinth. They are those through whom, whom you believe, not in whom you believed. And you remember how he said it back in chapter 1 that was, was uh, Paul, was I divided for you? Was I you know, crucified for you? Are you baptized in the name of Paul? No, you're baptized in the name of Christ. Make sure your allegiance goes to him. These are servants through whom you believed. Now, he is very clear about that, that fact. You believed the message I preached. I spoke to you God's word. He's going to re return to that in, in just a moment. But he says, you believed through the message that we brought to you. But not in us. We don't deserve any attention. Or any, we didn't die for you. We didn't do what we have brought the message through whom you have believed, through whom you have staked your life. And it is a, a very clear distinction between, you know, you're my people. I saved you. What? I didn't save you. Paul, Paul could never say that. would never say that. But you were saved through my ministry and you were saved through my influence. And so Paul rejoices in that just to be used of God, to be used by God to change or, or, or be the agent of change in God's um, economy, God's program here. These are servants. These are ministers. These are those who are just doing what God wants them to do. And even here it says at the end of verse 5, even as the Lord gave to each one. Now the question comes, what did God give? What is the Lord? And by the way, whenever Paul says Lord, especially in 1 Corinthians, but also a lot in his, his letters, he's talking about the Lord Jesus. What has the Lord Jesus given? And it's not just faith. I don't think that's the reference here. It's not the faith that God gave, to, that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to each one. It is the work that God gave to Apollos, gave to Paul, gave to other preachers and teachers and Christian workers in that uh, church. The Lord has given a specific role to each one. But it's not something that I claimed. Even Paul 
three different times, is that right, or four different times in Acts, we read here about his salvation testimony uh, when it first happened and then subsequent reports uh, after that. And he is always giving glory. I didn't seek this out. In fact, I was seeking to destroy the church. I was seeking to destroy this Jesus of Nazareth, who's this person who's going against the law and Moses. And yet he was stopped in his tracks and God said, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to build up that which you sought to destroy. And so Paul received from the Lord this ministry. And he really never gets over the fact that he was a persecutor of the church to his own detriment. He never gets over the fact that he was destroying uh, God's work. The Lord gave to each one, gave to Paul, gave to Apollos. And guess what? You can't begrudge the fact, well, why does that person over there have a bigger whatever than I do? Or why does that person over there have more fruit in their evangelistic work? Well, I, mean, I preach the gospel, teach the gospel, share the tracts, do all this stuff, and I barely have any fruit. Why do they, they just open their mouth or they smile this way and everybody just drops to their knees and confesses Jesus as Lord? Why? As the Lord has entrusted each one. It pleased the Lord in that way. about missionaries that return after years of, of service and, and uh, sometimes they have fruit from their labor in their place of service. Sometimes... Oh, pretty scanty. But guess what? That's where God put them. That's They did, fulfilled it. Well done, good and faithful servant. We'll see that the reward, the, the prestige, even as we, in a, in a positive sense, the honor that God gives to us in our, in our labor is not based on the fruitfulness of it. It's based on what do we contribute to it, the labor that we apply, the work. We can't control other people. We can't make them do what, what they ought to do, but we can teach the word. We must do our part. We can warn, we can admonish, we can teach, hold off, you know, hold up a, a proper example. But not, not one of us can change another person's heart. God has to do it. The Lord has given to each one. We see this emphasis in this brief passage of the diversity of giftedness. We see here, even as the Lord gave to each one, this word each one is used, I think it's five different times in these few verses. Uh, so he's a focus on each one. But then the, also the idea is that it's God. Each one has a specific role to play in the church, and not one of us can say, well, I'm the most important part. And he's going to get to this idea again in chapter 12. Remember about spiritual gifts, you know, you know which, which, which uh, person is more, most important in the church? And we look around and say, well, it must be that one because of X, Y, and Z, or that person, over, or this. It's Christ, by the way. That's the answer. Somebody asks you, who's the most important person in that church? Christ, Jesus, he's the one. He is the head. We're his body. Give honor to him. Each one's got, I'm, I'm maybe the big toe or little toe or the, or the whatever. And, and we have our work to do, but we give honor to Christ. Christ has given these jobs to each one. And he gives this agricultural example. I'm going to give two examples here in these, this chapter three. First, agricultural and then a building kind of analogy. In verse six, he says, I planted, Apollos watered. And so we see planting and watering or the cultivation, the, the whole idea and what kind of, of a crop were they looking at? Was it wheat or vineyard? Um, he doesn't get that as specific there. He's just saying, I had the initial work, foundational beginning work. Apollos came after. So I started this garden. Apollos came in. He watered. He gave the, the nourishment that was needed, maybe pulled some weeds and different things. We both had our different works. But guess what? God was causing the growth. I did my part, Apollos did his part, y'all doing your part, killer, you are doing your part, and God is the one who gives the increase. God is the one who causes the growth. What does God want out of this? 
He wants an abundant harvest. Do you remember Jesus' example about the parable of the soils? And, and another example, he talk, talked about fruitfulness. He says, I want not just a little bit of fruit. I want hundredfold fruit. I want to see it. You can't do it. You preach my word. My word is what gives life. My word is what uh, gives the, the knowledge of, of uh, conviction of sin and knowledge of salvation. God causes the growth. God is the one who determines the, if you don't mind, the, the breadth of your fruitfulness. We give our, we do our work. We leave the results to God. I planted. I had a role to play, Paul says. Apollos also, he wasn't a rival to me. He wasn't coming up, up and uprooting what I had planted. He wasn't coming up and stopping on the rows and, and uh, uh, redirecting them and saying, Paul, you should have planted this one two feet over this way. I'm going to fix this for you. He didn't do it. They were working together, if you don't mind. This is dating me. I don't know if people watch this TV show anymore. Working together to get the job done. Anybody know that reference? My family does. Anybody else know it? Okay, it's okay. It's Bob the Builder. Just You can figure that out. But uh, working together to get the job done. They were not rivals. They were not competitive. They weren't saying, well, uh, you know, I've got to come in and correct all of what Paul did or, or Paulus. They were working together and asking God, God, would you please save? Would you please grow this church? They need to grow. They need to grow in their wisdom, in their practical uh, outworking of, of their knowledge of God. God, would you please save? Would you please sanctify for your glory? Verse 7, he reiterates the idea and generalizes it more, and as he's going to do in, the, in the verse 8 as well. He says, it's not so much about Paul and Apollos, and forget about them. It's not the one who plants, nor the one who waters. It, they're nothing. They, they have no bearing, really, on the whole work that's going on here. Rather, God who causes the growth. That's what he just said. I watered, Paul's pla I planted, Paul's watered, but the Lord was causing the growth. He says the same thing, but he generalizes it and says, so it's not, it doesn't depend on the one who plants or the one who waters. God is the one. Where did the guy who planted the stuff get the plants? The seed, the seedlings, whatever. God made it. Where is the one who waters? Where does he get his water? God gives the water. Where does, you know, do they have to do some kind of incantation over the, over the thing? Do they have to do it in a certain way? I mean, even, did you know that seeds don't have an upside or a downside? You know, you just put it in the ground, it'll figure itself out. Isn't that amazing? Just, and even getting it in the ground is kind of negligible. Just put it down there and it'll, it'll figure, it'll bury itself sometimes. Some of these seeds are just so amazing. God has put it in life to live. God has almost, it's embarrassing sometimes how much we think we contribute to salvation, sanctification of other people. And God says, you just do your part and watch what I'm going to do. We see a lot of stories and, and movies and TV shows about, you know, special powers that people have. God has the power. You just do what has been trusted to you. You just do your normal stuff and let God show himself off. I mean, he's going to give life. He is going to make, even as Jesus talked about, a mustard seed. The mustard seed, even though it's the smallest of seeds, he says, smallest of cultivatable kind of seeds, it becomes the largest of the whole garden. Largest what? Well, there are other seeds that are smaller, other, other things that are bigger than, but he's talking about cultivate, cultivable, cultivatable stuff that you'd work in agriculture. That's the smallest seed, mustard seed, and it grows to be this huge thing. You do your work. You put your faith out there. You be obedient, Lord. Do your part, 
because it's neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Don't take too much to yourself. You know, even for for positive or negative, we say, boy, I really, you know, hit the ball out of the ballpark this time, you know, or as great granddad used to say, you really rang the bell that time on the preaching. Well, it's God's word. It's not like I came up with it. I'm just reading the text and explaining the text and applying the text. Or we can't take too much to ourselves in the negative sense that, oh, man, I just flubbed the whole thing and I just can't. St- I, how can God even use that? I mean, I tried to share the gospel with my mother and not my mother. She's a good Christian. But, uh, other, you know, people we just think, oh, I, how can God use me? Of course he can use you. Just plant water, whatever your role is. As my father-in-law would say, if God can use Balaam's donkey. Not a noble beast. But to speak, God can make a donkey speak. It's amazing. God can use anyone to accomplish his purposes because it's God who causes the growth. Once we realize, oh, oh, wait a minute. It depends on God's action, not mine. It changes us entirely. We say, well, I I don't need to fear anything then because I don't need to convince anybody. I don't need to to make sure that I, oh, I I, I was out of order. I should have said that second. And if I said it first, and I'd ruin the whole thing. Sorry, you're going to go to hell because my failure. No. How big is your God? How big is your Christ? Can you serve him without fear and say, God, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do what you've entrusted to me to do. I I may be the planter, maybe the water, maybe the harvest person. Actually, he's the harvest person. I may be the one who comes in and and weeds, you know, being the, uh, you know, getting out the the things or, or scaring the birds away or whatever. What kind of role can you play and can you leave the results to God? God is the one who causes the growth. Verse 8, again, just underlines this for the third time. He who plants and he who waters are one. And, well, didn't you just say that there was Paul and there was Apollos and there's different people? Yes, there's that. Oneness here is not oneness of identity. It's a oneness of, if you don't mind, intention or purpose or, or goal. In other words, the planter, if the planter was all about himself and had his own agenda over here, he might want to have the straightest furrows or he might want the right depth of the seed and, and cover it over just with one soup of the hand, not two. Two ruins it. Don't do two. Just one. And all these different things that we can get all kind of just picky about, doesn't matter. If the water were the one to say, well, I'm only going to use the most freshest water. Uh, that's not proper grammar, but the freshest water. Uh, or or uh, I want it to be this temperature. And if it's not this temperature, then it's going to be bad. It's not going to be... The goal is harvest. The goal is the crop. Again, if the planter were to say, I'm going I'm to plant them in a diagonal fashion, and the water comes in and says, what is this diagonal business? I, I, I have to cross every furrow to get to where I'm going. And so there's a cooperation here. There's, there's an idea of we're working together to get the job done. For God's glory, each one is considering himself, again, as, as less than what might be due to him by his own estimation of his skill and ability, but recognizing we're at the same goal. We are intentional about the harvest that God is accomplishing. We are intentional about using our skills and abilities, interests, uh, training, and, and so forth to yield the, the, the uh, produce, the, the crop that God wants to have in this, in this work. And so realizing it's not an ascendancy, it's not a rivalry, we're going the same direction. We are so much desiring God to be at work. We want him to do his work. We want him to receive the glory. Not that we strain ourselves to, to pat ourselves on the back for, for good or for ill. Again, 
usually we take much more credit to ourselves than we ought to and more blame to ourselves than we ought to. But God is the one who's at work. In Insofar as he's talking about the diversity of giftedness and skill and place of ministry and so forth, as well as the unity here, verse uh, 8 talks about the, the unity of purpose, the unity of, of uh, you know, camaraderie, not rivalry. He does indicate there is a measure of uniqueness or individuality within this, not in an overmuch sense, but in the sense here, each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. There's so much in the scripture, this connection between reward and labor, and from Old Testament time, New Testament time, that and both in a temporal kind of a sense, in time. Um, he's going to return to this idea in chapter 9 about those who sow spiritual things ought to reap from you material things. So we ought to pay our teachers. Paul says, I don't do that because of various reasons, but you need to pay your teachers. You need to show honor. Uh, give them a reward for their labor. We can see it, and he's going to have this similar analogy also in chapter 9, that who... Who, you know, we would expect that shepherds would be able to enjoy uh, uh, the milk from their flock or, or farmers would be able to receive a portion of their harvest for themselves. They're going to sell the rest of it. They're going to use some for themselves. The idea is, according to your labor, you can have some measure of reward in time, temporally. But there's also an eschatological or last days kind of reference here. And he's going to return to this in chapter 4 and... Well, elsewhere in First Corinthians, but also uh, other scriptures where he talks about that end time reward. And don't forfeit that. You make sure that you know God is going to return to us uh, what we have done in ourselves. And we think, well, wait a minute. I, I, I don't have control over the harvest. I don't, I, you're the one who gives the increase. So why didn't you give the increase? It's not the point. That's not what God judges on. How well did you do? How well did you do? What kind of labor did you do? How did how engaged in the work were you? How much did you give yourselves to it? How much were you consumed, not just with, with not actually, with your own personal agenda over here? How much were you consumed with my kingdom agenda, kingdom building agenda? And we think, well, I, you know, I voted this way. It's not that kind of voting. It's not political. It is relational, making sure that you speak the truth in love to other people, edify other people, build them up save, uh, you know, be agents of God's salvation to people, agents of God's sanctification. In other words, the reward is not, is not based on the fruitfulness of our ministry, but the service that we provide. What kind of labor are we providing? And notice, it says it here twice, his own, his own. Wouldn't it be nice? Well, you know, I'm kind of attached to this person over there, and they're really going gangbusters, and I support them uh, financially, or I pray for them, and so God... Uh, give me some of their uh, residuals, some of their benefit. You're going to give to them. Can I just have a little bit of that? He says, no, that's for them. You get out and do your part. Now, not all of us can be the, the frontline, whatever, missionaries and pastor teachers and, and uh, deacons and all these kind of... That's not the thing. You do the work that God has entrusted to you. Are you just a stay-at-home mom? You are in the best position that God wants you to be in. You love your husband. You love your children. You take care of your home. That's scriptural. Titus 2. Do that. But, uh, you know, I have this work in a very difficult environment, and there aren't any other believers. In my Praise the Lord. You are able to share the gospel, if not by words, which you should, by words, but you can show 
this light in a very dark place. And, and people will say, what is this deal about you? Why are you so happy all the time? Or you should be. Why are you just joyful? Why, do you, why are you so calm? Didn't you realize that this just happened and you're just calm? Not in a, a passive kind of sense, but just peaceful, right? In the trusting the Lord. How can you do that? And that gives an opportunity for you to share the gospel. In other words, do the fruitful, uh, or do the, excuse me, do the, um, the work that God has entrusted to you and recognize God will reward. Maybe in time, but definitely in the future, in that last day, he will reward according to your own labor. There is a measure, it's practiced in schools and different things, where there's group group projects, and you, you see this in the workplace all the time. You're on a team, and maybe there are some team members that aren't so um, engaged in the work and, and kind of flaky and not reliable at all. Don't be that person. You be the person who leads by example, leads in service, leads in humility. If somebody's, you know, there's this work over there that nobody wants to do, and you say, well, who's going to do it? I'll do it. It's under my pay grade. I, 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 I've got these other things to do, but nobody else is doing this. I'm going to take care of it. Did you remember? That's what happened in John 13. Disciples are walking into, with Jesus to the Last Supper, and they look at the basin and the towel to wash their feet, and they say, well, I'm Peter. I'm John. I'm Bartholomew. I'm, what, I'm above this. Who, where's the servant person to come wash our feet? Well, there wasn't a servant person. Remember how clandestine, how kind of secretive that whole Last Supper was? Jesus was trying to uh, keep things secret from Judas, who was going to betray him, and all kind of things were going on. And so the disciples are there reclining at the table with dirty feet. Just disgusting. You know, just to tell them what to do. And they were kind of looking at each other, kind of wondering, and say, oh, I guess we're going to have dirty feet. No. What did Jesus do? Got up, took off his outer robe, girded his loins, picked up that basin and the towel and went and washed all the disciples' feet. That's the example that we are given by our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the example, Mark um, 10, 41 to 45, he talks about the, the, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles want to lord it over those allowed to them. No, that's not what it is among you. You, you want to be great, you become the servant of all, just as the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You lay down your life for other people. You make sure that you are the one not looking to, to receive, you know, what have you done for me lately kind of thing, but what can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I be a blessing to you? How can I advance you? How can I build you up in the most holy faith? How can I speak the word of God to you? What can I do? You know, I see you're, you're carrying this heavy load. What can, I'm going to go out and help you carry this thing. Or, you know, that's a mess. you uh, you got so much many things going on. Let me clean this up for you. I mean, just very practical things about how we can serve one another. And we realize sometimes people won't recognize that I've done that work. They won't recognize that I... God knows. God knows. And he doesn't just know the work. He knows the heart attitude in which we do that work. And you wonder, what's more important to God? The fact that I did it or the fact that I grumbled while I was doing it? Well... And Jesus told a parable. You have to look that up about how that goes out. But God is the one who rewards. God is the one who uh, determines. He discerns. It's not the church. We don't need to pass judgment on ourselves. We'll see that in chapter 4 again. And he says in verse 9, We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. If you didn't notice it, three different times in this one verse, we have the possessive gods. Not plural. It's possessive. It belongs to God. In other words, it's not 
as, as it might be portrayed, and it is in, in certain English translations, that we are fellow workers alongside of God. So there's a kind of associative um, uh, characteristic there, that we are fellow workers in association with God or for the advantage of God, even that way, that you know, we're fellow workers for God's benefit. It's nothing like that. The, the fellow worker aspect is not so much with God, it's the fellow worker between Paul and Apollos or other Christian workers, the one who plants, the one who waters, uh, the one who uh, you know, greases the, the reaping equipment, whatever, those, they're fellow workers, but we belong to God. We all belong to God. And by the way, you are God's field. You're not our field. You are God's building. You're not our building. We don't own you. We don't, you don't need to give any special allegiance or affinity to us. You are God's. We are God's. You are God's. In other words, we get the idea, God is kind of central to this whole work. God is kind of important to our how we view ourselves, our, our individual work, but how we view our association in the church. It's God's. He calls the shots. He determines what's right and wrong. He's the one who will reward according to his judgment. We are God's fellow workers. We belong to him. The contrast between uh, Paul and, and uh, Apollos and the other fellow workers versus the field, the building, as he, as he talks about here, is very stark. He's just saying, look, we each have a role to play, but we all belong to God. If you, if you tried to make an organizational chart based on this verse, you, you'd have, okay, Paul and Apollos, field, etc., working in the field. I don't know how, you'd wanna, how detailed you want to get in your organizational chart, but the top of the chart is not Paul and it's not uh, Socrates or any of the other human uh, uh, philosophers and so forth. It's not the church. It's God. Make sure you let God have his place in your fellowship, in your church. Listen to him. Follow his word. We give attention to his word because what else are we going to do? Because if we started bringing in, by the way, if we started bringing in, you know, I, I like uh, this, this American poet better than those British poets over here. Or, you know, I really like this guy over here. here right? Or, and we start, and we just compare, and well, well, I'm of this, and I'm of that, and we, no. We come to one book, and by the way, I know there are 66 books, and some people have favorites. You all don't have favorites. Just be careful with it. It's the whole book. Pay attention to the whole book. And we, and we come say, well, I, I wish he would teach this, or do that, or study this, or... We're studying God's word. We're studying verse by verse, syllable by syllable sometimes. But we're making it because we attend ourselves to his word. We're looking to see what does he have to say for us. If we started bringing in newspapers, you know, some people like this paper. Or the, we rally around God. It's his church, his word. He calls the, uh, the, the uh, order. He calls the, the um, whole identification of us. When Paul uses this term fellow workers, he uses it a lot. And you think, what is this all about? Why is Paul so much given to this uh, cooperation? Because he realizes, I cannot do this by myself. I, I'm just one person. And he had a very specific ministry model. He would go to very large urban centers, uh, at least in his second and third missionary journeys, uh, and fourth, even though it wasn't a, a missionary journey so much. He was in Syria and jail in Rome, but, uh, but he was very intentional about where he went. But he had other people go over this way and that way and, and sent them out and, dis and distributed them, trained them, gave them the, the, the uh, word of God to share. But then he says, you go do your work. And not just the one who are the teachers and the, the leaders, but the people in the pew. I mean, he wrote letters to the church, not to the leaders of the church. He wrote them to the church at Corinth, to the church at Colossae, to the church at Ephesus. You guys, every person in this fellowship has a responsibility to do the work that has been entrusted to us. 
We're God's field. We belong to him. We need each other. The one who plants, the one who waters is one. We have one goal, one purpose, one Lord, one uh, uh, modus operandi or, or work, uh, mode of working for God to do in and through us. We ought not get all rivalrous, rivalrous and competitive and so forth. Paul, again, uses his word fellow workers in so many different ways. And he, Jesus also had fellow workers. And we think, oh, it's an important idea that we ought not view each other as competitors, but as cooperators. We, we work together to get this, this uh, uh, job done, if you don't mind again. And we are doing this for God's glory. And each person doesn't have the same task to do. We have, again, in our fellowship, we have different people to do this job or that job or this job. We're all going in the same direction. We're all trying to have God honored, have uh, salvation, sanctification going on. Paul has a lot of different folks that he mentions. Aristarchus, Mark, um, Timothy is called a fellow worker, Philemon, uh, Demas, Luke, Demas, even though he abandoned the faith later in 2 Timothy 4, Epaphroditus, um, Titus, I think I mentioned already, all kind of fellow workers. And it's not a us versus them or, or you're doing it wrong. I wish you'd do it my way. It's nothing like that. You do it Christ's way. We make sure we message, we give the proper message. That is what he's after. This idea of, of fellow workers, again, is such a powerful analogy in the church and for the church that, again, we, we need to be servants. We need to do our part, leave the results to God, and recognize God owns me. God owns the field. And again, the agricultural analogy, a cultivatable um, place for, for crops to grow. You're God's field. And then he changes the metaphor. He talks about a building and not just the process of building, I think, because we can use building. You know, oh, they're building something new versus, oh, that building over there is, is great, Paul or whatever. Uh, so we can use that word. And even in Greek, it works that way. You can talk about the process of building versus the, the, um, the effect, the structure that's being built. I think he's talking about the structure. He's going to refer to this idea uh, going forward and beginning in verse, four, verse 10 about the building and through the end of chapter 3. But he says, you belong to God. You are the one that God is doing the work. He is uh, giving the harvest, giving the increase, and also giving the structure for this church to be built up into. In our perspective, God's building, we can think of it, our, our work in that is both in uh, the, the process of construction. Usually when we read about that idea in Scripture as it pertains to our spiritual work, it has to do with building up one another, edifying one another. It's that same word to build up. We can also talk about the structure of the church founded on the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, Ephesians 2.20. So there's that idea, and, and usually it's, it's not so much a building. It is, does talk about that, and Paul talks about here in chapter 3, the sanctuary, the temple of God. Elsewhere, he talks about the body, the building up of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.16 uh, is such a, a powerful example about each individual part does its work, causes the growth of the body, for the building up of itself in love. I think, wow, I have a part to role, part, part, a role to play in this church. Yes, even if you're not a member. Hey, if you're in this congregation, are you are you awake? Are you can you talk with people? Then minister. Seek to look for needs. How can I how can I serve? Because it's it would be nice, I suppose, if we had a to-do list, you know, do this, 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 and this needs to happen. It, it, it doesn't happen all that way. But when you see that there's a need, if you see that person's kind of, kind of looks kind of mournful, that person's rejoicing. I wonder what's going on with them. What can I, you know, can I share God's uh, blessing uh, with that person? All kind of relationships we can have to serve, recognizing I am 
with each other, a co-worker, a fellow worker of God. I'm doing it for God's glory. I want to see the, the uh, increase that God has in mind for this fellowship, not just numerically. For God can do whatever he wants there, but spiritually, to, to build into each other's lives, uh, build that ministry of the gospel in each other's lives for God's glory, and that he would receive the honor, the attention, the, the allegiance. Our allegiance belongs to God alone, not to ourselves, not to any one teacher or worker or anything to ourselves, uh, ultimately, really, we all selfish and, and uh, provincial. We're about God's work and done in God's way for God's glory. So let's work. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your wonderful attention and work in and through us. What an amazing reality that you would, in fact, work in and through us, that we can be channels of your mercy, channels of your blessing to people. Help us to be this amazing analogy of even of the heart, the human heart that pumps the blood to all the body, and yet it needs to be served as well. We want through its own blood vessels and so forth. We are so needy. We need you in our own lives so that we can be channels of your blessing to other people. Please help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear one another, that we would fulfill our work, not taking things to ourselves, but give glory to Christ. We pray that we would not have a sense of rivalry or competition or or judgment toward one another, but that we would receive one another in love and grace and, and looking for that like-mindedness according to your word that shows us not about us, it's not about what we do or even don't do for sometimes, but what you are doing in and among us and through us. Please help us to be, again, pure and useful vessels for your sake, uh, just an astounding reality. You'd use a bunch of clay pots for eternal work. This is serious business. And you're the one who is so gracious. Thank you for each one who's here. Please save and sanctify for your good pleasure. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.